I set a timer, because this message took an hour last Wednesday. They tell me I had 15 minutes, so I'm going to try to just give you some highlights and trust the Holy Spirit for the fact as you pray for about it later on. But I'm going to get right into it. I'm, I'm glad to be able to share with you about something that I believe from the bottom of my heart that a vast majority of the people here could be blessed and their life is going to be changed by this truth if you don't already know it. I want to talk to you about a hindrance to intimacy with God. Because a lot of us have things that hinder us for a deeper walk. But before I get that, I want to lay the groundwork. And we all know the story, but I want to just bring us back to that point in the garden when it says that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. And we all know there's two phrases that are really, really powerful that happened in there. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but the Word of God is there for us to know more about our Father. We should expect to know more of the heart of God when we go to His Word. But there's something that God said that's extremely powerful when you consider why God made Adam. He said, Adam, where are you? Now, God knows everything. But in this praise, I, I feel the heart of my Father saying, the fellowship is broken. Where are you? I created you to be my son, to walk with me. And then he said something else extremely powerful. He said, what have you done? The fellowship is broken. And the cost that I'm going to have to pay to restore that fellowship is beyond what you can imagine. But I'm going to pay it. I'm going to send my son to die because everything about your creation is for intimacy with me. And you see, that is the basis for this message, is we have to come into it with the understanding of how desperately God wants to dwell with us and have intimacy with us and love with us. Because if we think that God's a theory or something we're going to go experience in heaven, we're missing everything about what the Christian life is. So now, an intimacy hindrance. How many people here, you don't have to raise your hands, have literally said something like this? I'm so tired of telling God I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry so much. Or, I'm never going to change. I've done this, I've read this, I've experienced this, I've gone to this conference, I've done this thing, and I'm not changing. I'm just a failure, I see the failures, I feel so unworthy. Am I the only one? I don't think so. We know what God said. And we know we believe what God said. If we're faithful to confess our sins, He's faithful to If we confess our sins, He's faithful just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness, right? We know that. We understand grace. We know that, but there's still something inside of us that makes us stand back from God a little bit because of our shame and our guilt. Adam, where are you? The shame and the guilt causes the withdrawal. It is an error, and I've heard it my entire life, to stay in this position. And I know there's a truth to it. Where people say, the closer I get to God, the more I hate myself. Or the closer I get to God, the more I despise myself or see my own faults. That's okay, because He's a holy God, and in our flesh we're not. But if we stay in that position, God never intended, ever intends... To reveal himself to us so that we can feel worse about ourselves. It's not his will that when he reveals and discloses himself to us and all his beauty and his love and his glory. 
that we then look at ourselves and say, I can't go close to God. That's a problem. And it's an error. And I've heard so many people just accept that as a truth. But it's completely contradicting the heart of our Father. Quick story. I was invited to go preach in Tampa. Some of you know about this a couple of months ago. And it went from three or four services down to two services. And right before I left, we only had one service. And I actually prayed. And I was like, God, what do you want me to do? Do I go to Tampa or not? And the short of it is, if I go and one person gets saved and Phil grow with me, if I go and one person gets saved, it's worth the 20 hours in the car. I believe God's sending me, so I'm going. God's called me to preach, I'm going. Drove there, spent the night, and the next day we get up, an hour before the service, it's canceled. I had to be the good Christian, at least pretend like I was, and I tell him, it's okay, guys, I'm not mad, I was hot. <laughs> but you know, they're expecting me to be like this incredible man of God that they want me to come back. I was like, I'm not coming back. <laughs> yeah. But I smiled. I said, it's okay. I understand it was outside your control. I got in the corner. I left there. I was mad. Phil was trying to talk to me. I was mad. I got in the got in the flesh. I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm not preaching anymore. I had enough. This is just a waste of my time. Why don't I even come? Clearly, God can't use me. And I get this depression and this frustration. You ever been there? You feel like something's happening. You get a little more depressed. And look, that's the feeding ground for the devil. Because when we walk from that place of intimacy with God into any other place, it's a place where the devil has so many open doors, it's ridiculous, okay? So, I'm in this really bad state. And I'm starting to get really down on Christianity. Because I'm in a bad state. And I'm saying to myself, and I'm just being out to God, why do Christians stink so bad? Why are we so weak? Why do I see in the Bible, it says a Christian is supposed to be free. A Christian is supposed to be standing in this arm and the arrows come and it hits and they bounce off his shield. Hey, that's a nice theory, but it isn't working, God. I am failing you left and right. And I'm upset and I'm tired and I'm frustrated. And, and God brings Peter to me. And he says, um, when Peter got out the boat, he said, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, I know you're a sinful man. Now, this is me and God talking Jesus knew Peter would step out the boat later and sink. Jesus knew he would fall asleep in the garden. And Jesus knew in his darkest, deepest hour, one of his best friends would say, I never knew him. And in all of that, Jesus said, I know, Peter. Follow me. And I'm going to use you for my glory. Because Jesus saw what he could do and what he would do in that man. And so I said, actually, I'm not near as bad as Peter. <laughs> I just got upset because the bank was canceled. But in all of that, God asked me a question. He asked me a while back. And he said, I guess I'm still not enough for you. You went to Tampa for me. You went to Tampa with me. You came home with me. What are you so upset about? You had the circumstances define everything about you and everything I want to accomplish when Peter stepped out of the boat and he saw the wind in the waves, why don't you say something real quick? You can't see the wind. I know it says he saw the wind in the waves, but you cannot see wind. All you see is the effects of the wind. It is extremely important for us to discern the source of the wind. Because sometimes it's God, sometimes it's the enemy. In this case, for me, 
Not for the people there, but for me, the wind was God. The worst thing in the world that could have happened to me was that there would have been a mighty move of God. People would have gotten saved, raised from the dead, whatever you want to call it. Because I would have left that place thinking I was in good shape with God. But God wanted to work something out with me. You, I am not enough for you. But it put me in this downward spiral. And I'm reading in the Bible, and I'm hearing other men of God saying how sorry they are. Boy, the clock is really moving fast tonight. And I go to Judges, and I'm reading, and the Lord was with Judah, and they took the hill country, but they could not take the rest of the land because they had chariots. And, I, and that really messed me up because I'm thinking, if God was with them, why couldn't they take the land on chariots and nothing for God? And I'm in really bad shape. I'm going to the Bible. I'm like, okay, the Old Testament tells me it's a, it's a symbolism of the Christian life. And I just read in there me. There's some things I'm doing, but there's a lot of stuff I can't get the victory on. And I'm tired of this God. Why do Christians stink? Now, I'm not being disrespectful to God, but I'm being honest. Because something's missing in my life. And I was at six months ago at our church. And I'm thinking the same thing. I'm thinking, God, we're a bunch of morons. I mean, seriously, don't get mad at me. Like, we, we just, we fail and we're so weak and we're constantly repenting. Every Sunday, someone's up here repenting about something. And I walk into the front corner and I watch all of y'all praising God. And I said, but God, they love you. Faults and all. And you know what I heard God tell me? And I love them too. Just Thank like you, them. Jesus. And that's, these little things are coming together, you know, so, boy, I've got to go fast. So I'm reading in Judges, and it's talking about how Joshua and the generation that was with him passed away. All the ones that knew war, and the rest of the people started serving other gods. And it goes on to say, God brought enemies into their land to test them to know what was in their heart, whether they would obey God or not. And so I'm starting to put some of this stuff together. And say, okay, so what I'm seeing from the Old Testament, and we all know it is, when things were good, they left God. When things were bad, they came back to God. And so I'm reading, because I wake up one night three times in the middle of the night. By any means. I go back to bed, by any means. I go back to bed, by any means. I get up at that time. And we're in Philippians. And I said, there's only one means, it's Jesus Christ. Right? So I go to study by any means. And you understand what it says, that I may know him and the power of resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable to his death, that by any means I might obtain the resurrection of the dead. The literal interpretation there is that somehow I might. Now we know Paul in, in, in chapter 1 verse 9 says, we know he who began the work will be faithful to complete it in us. So Paul was not doubting his salvation or his stability in Christ. What Paul was saying is, I gave up all these things and no matter what it was, it was worth the cost that I may know him. This is the purpose of my existence, that I, be, that I apprehend that which I was apprehended for. To know Jesus Christ is the purpose of my life. And I'm like, okay, God, that's great. But there's still trouble sometimes when me want to get up on my dad's lap and just put my head on your shoulder. And then God in his grace brought me to chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. And this has changed my life. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So we're waiting for Jesus Christ. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. Thank you, Lord. And I read that, and I said, 
you will transform my body, this humble estate. The position God has left me is humble. It's of low esteem. It's of weakness. That's where we are right now. He by design, I'm going to really speed this up, bring it to God if I want you fast. He by design left you and me in a place, a position of weakness and humility because without that, I believe you would not seek him. Based on the whole entirety of the Bible. So the truth is this. What is Christian humility then? If you left me in a humble state. Christian humility is not mental self-abasement. Christian humility is not walking in the room and saying, I'm a loser. I'm the worst one here. I'm not as good as anybody else. That is not Christian humility. When we read, humble yourself before God will lift you up. He's not telling you, go lift the ground and act like a snail so that he can lift you up. Because see, Jesus Christ said, if you want to come to me, I'll give you rest. If you want to find rest, learn of me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Jesus Christ never walked in a room and felt like he was the worst person there or a loser. So if that's what Jesus is telling us to find rest, is to enter in his rest, is to identify with his humility. It is not mental self-abasement. The humility he's talking about in the context of chapter 3 in Philippians of knowing Christ is I am desperately weak and in every aspect of my life I need Jesus Christ. I am desperate for God. In this relationship of hungering to know Him no matter what. That is the most important purpose of the Christian life is not to bring God glory. The most important role of the Christian life is to make God happy. Here we can see in John 15 and it says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciple. The glory is great, but it comes from fruit bearing. Fruit bearing comes from abiding. But when we feel like we're unworthy to come into the presence of God because of our weakness, even I've said we're not talking about going for rebellion, because the point of all of this is that I may know Him. That I may dwell with him. That I may be closer to him. But it is the biggest and vain imagination that needs to be brought into the obedience of Christ that gets rid of. This is all I will ever be. Or I'm just going to sit back and wait until God does something. Or we have grace. And when God wants me to be different, he'll do something different. That is a lie from hell. That position of weakness should thrust us into the arms of Christ. And in the moment, I sat back and said... Okay, God, in the humility you left me, I give you all I am. In all my weakness, here I am, and I desperately need you. This is the key of what Paul meant when he said, in regard to all the other apostles, I'm inferior to none, yet I'm a nobody. But in this truth, all right, I'm stopping. In this truth, I'll conclude, he said, and this makes sense to me for the first time ever, when I'm weak, then I am strong. Because now, it's not that Paul was celebrating his weakness. It's that in his weakness, when he came to God, in that dependence on God, the life of Christ was living inside of him. And he had God's strength in God's life. So, guys, we cannot let and we can't live in that place of guilt. Because in the beginning, Adam, where are you? has been changed by the grace of God to come on and I'll give you rest. 
But the rest is accepting God's gracious offer of love and sacrifice. And coming to Him as humble children. And trusting that with our faults, we can sit up on His lap, cry on His shoulder, or dance with Him. Amen. Amen.